All right, good morning, everybody. We're going to jump in quickly, um, starting with Ephesians 6. We've been talking about uh, standing in the evil day. Anybody recognize an evil day recently? <laughs> kind of hard not to see it, isn't it? <laughs> it must, must be just me. <laughs> but uh, I'm excited because, uh, you know, there's something about what God is doing in our midst <clears throat> where everybody else is kind of seeing some of the challenges, and, of course, they're, it's not like they're not there. Uh, but what we need to be seeing is opportunity. Um, I think the Lord is doing something in our midst. In one sense, uh, there's going to be a massive contrast to who believers are and how they're handling the scenarios and situations that are coming upon us and what that looks like in the world. I've already had people ask me, they're like, how are you so calm? Do you not know what's going on? (laughs) I'm like, no, I don't have cable. What's happening? (laughs) But I get a chance to say, well, yeah, I know, but I've, you know, my, my running phrase is, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm not, uh, not going to live out of fear, right? Um, I'm going to take precautions, but I'm not going to live out of fear. And so what I don't want to do is what we've been preaching into for the last really couple of months that we've been doing this is to not lose focus on what it is that God's doing in our life. You know, the, uh, I remember talking to someone about going to Bible college. This is when I was out in Bible college in California. And uh, it was a lady, and she was in her 40s, and she, was, she felt like God had called her to go into ministry. And so she said, well, I, I, you know, she told the Lord, she said, you know, if I do this, Lord, in, in a couple of years, I'm going to be 40 or 42 or 44 or whatever the age was. And she said she heard the Lord very clearly say to her, well, you're going to be that age anyway. <laughs> and so I, I think part of the challenge is let's just not get caught in the distraction, right, and just remember what's important, what the values that God's placed inside of our lives and the purpose and the call that we all have. I mean, we all have a call to, to preach Christ to a broken and a hurting world. That's part of what we do with words, of course. We want to do that, um, but we want to do that with our lives, and I think this is a good opportunity to do that. Um, so we want to talk about what it takes to stand. We've been talking about, uh, last week we talked about um, the, the difference between a, a, really a contrast in terms of what righteousness looks like and, and you know, being in Christ, uh, being with God, being for God, so went through a bunch of different, um, you know, uh, different ways of understanding how we come into this. And we read Ephesians six ten through thirteen, and so I'm just going to read that again, just for to kind of get us going and, and kind of launch off of verse thirteen. So verse ten says, "Finally, brothers, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil." So there's an enemy against our soul. We know that. Verse 12 says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And we forget that because often the, you know, the, what we're receiving is from people, right? We, we, people who are irritated, the, the things that are happening in the world are causing people to, to say and do things. And we're like, okay, well, it's not really them. Well, yes, it's them, right? But there's something behind it that we need to be aware of. And that's what Scripture sp- uh, speaks to. It says, uh, principalities, powers, the rulers of darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So there, there's a worldview, there's an agenda that's going on, and we need to be aware of it. Verse 13 really really is where I want to focus, though, this morning. It says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. So it's telling you what to do, right? And it goes through this in several different passages in Ephesians 6, but this is an important one. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. So it's saying when it comes, you've, you've, if you take up the armor of God, you will be prepared. And it goes on, it says, and having done all to stand. And that's the, the phrase that really, I, I woke up with that phrase in my, in my head, in my heart, and that's where this series really came from. I just woke up with it one morning. It's that having done all, stand. And so the more I pursued this, there's this really interesting passage, uh, if 
that verse in the um, in a different version, Holman Christian Standard Bible, it says this, and it's really interesting how it brings something out. It says, this is why you must take up the full armor of God, so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having prepared everything, to take your stand. And so there's this sense of, you know, preparation is key. I talked about that a little bit last week. <clears throat> and how, how do you prepare? And the scripture says in this passage that you know the armor, you know what the armor is, that you know, you know what you've been given as tools of defense and tools of uh, one tool of offense. And you know, we, we can talk about that, but we've, if you've been a believer for very, very long, you've heard this in a hundred different ways, especially in kids' church, um, something we teach right from the get-go. But it's, it's about being discipled. It's about growing as a believer. Um, there's this passage, um, my wife quotes it sometimes, and, it's, and it's, it's just a truth that really captures your heart. And if you're not careful, it can feel a little harsh, but it's not. And, and the scripture says, if you fail in the day of adversary, your strength is weak, right? And I'm like, dang, God, that's hard. <laughs> you know, and you're usually reading that when your strength is weak. You know what I'm saying? That, and it's like, oh, thanks for that, God. But, but it's really, if you, if you recognize it for what it is, it's a reminder that that evil day is coming around again. Right, so if you if you failed here, the grace is you know there's grace for you. Thank God for grace, but the expectation is as a son or as a daughter that we're supposed to grow in our discipleship. We're supposed to get stronger. We're supposed to be eventually the head and not the tail. Right. So maybe you start out and the enemy takes advantage of you in lots of different ways through relationships, through brokenness. But at some point, there's supposed to be a strength that rises in you that in the day of adversary, <clears throat> it will not fail. And that's the key. That's what kind of God's going after and what it means to be a disciple. So there's this, this other passage in Ephesians 6.10 that's related, talking about building yourself up. And it says this. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord. And remember it talked about that in that other passage in Ephesians about the power of His might. That if you try to be strong in your own strength, you will fail in the day of adversary. I don't care how strong you are, you're not that strong. So something's coming that will take you down. Right, so just being aware of that's helpful. It's not. It doesn't say just be strong, which is helpful, but it says be strong in the Lord. And so I want to kind of go after this today about the fact that if you're going to stand, if you're going to be strong, if you're going to take a stand in the evil day, you have to know who you are. If you don't know who you are, there's going to be plenty of circumstances, and the adversary is going to try to tell you who you are. He's going to try to give you an identity, right? But you have to make a decision about who you're going to hear from. So it's not just about who you are. The only way you can really know who you are is to know whose you are, right? Because your father gets to define you. That's part of the role of, of earthly fathers. They get to define their kids, right? You start by naming them something, right? You don't name your kid Hitler. I mean, maybe that one guy back in <laughs> the early part of the last century. But don't do that anymore, right? That's just... That's the definition of evil, it seems like. So you name your kid. You start by naming your kid. And then you, you continue, if you're a believer, if you're, if you're a godly person, you define your child the way God says to define them. You see this all the time where parents say, I want my kid to grow up and be successful. I want him to be a doctor. So they plan his life for him. And that's all good. That's fine, right? Um, we had a friend recently. Uh, he said uh, he went out with his, his, uh, one of his best friend's son's birthday, he's like 14 years old, and he said, I want to hang out with your friend's dad, which was really cool. So about four of the older guys and this one guy, they go out to this 
top golf, you know, so they're going to hit the golf balls. And so he, uh, Ryan is the, the dad, and he's standing there, he's watching his son. He's pretty proud of him. He's got a good swing. And so he, he, he just hits the first ball, and he says, man, he said, I just heard this crash. And he said, and it was sailing. And it was like 300 and something yards. And he said, my, my son is not that big. And he said, and for a second there, he goes, I'm going to be rich. <laughs> Daddy's going to get the boat he's always wanted. So he's thinking that in his head, and then he realizes there was a big, huge guy right next to him. He'd hit the ball at the same time, and he was watching that other guy. So he missed it a little bit, right? But the, your intention is you want what's best for your kid, but sometimes if we're honest, we're sometimes trying to raise our kids up in what's best for us, right? And so the Scripture speaks to that. It says, raise up your child in the way he should go. In other words, God has an identity for every single person. And part of the role of the father is to, to help bring identity to your child, to identify them. But, but with this context, it has to be the way God has defined them, not the way you see them, not the way the world sees them, not what you, none of the outward circumstances. It's got to be who they are in their spirit, who God designed them to be. Remember we had this little girl in our youth group up in Atlanta um, her name was Gabby. Gabby was this kind of, she was really, she was real small. Her family, her whole family, like a family of hobbits, you know, just real small. And she was kind of frail, right? And she was, she was really sweet. And one time, I forget who it was, I think it was Karen maybe, who prayed for her and said, I just see you as a warrior in the spirit. And so we share that with her and then share that with her parents. And her parents come along and said, do you know, we heard that the day we brought her home from, from her, the hospital and laid her in her crib. We prayed over her and the Lord said, this is who she's going to be. We heard it but even before that, before she was even born, she's going to be this. And Gabby's now in, uh, out of college, I guess. Now she's, she's all grown up. And guess what she is? She's a warrior, <laughs> right? She, she's so powerful because that who she is on the inside it, 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 it paints a different picture than what she looks like on the outside. And so God is all about establishing identity. So he says, be strong in the Lord. It can't just be who you are, but it's, it got, it's got to start from whose you are. And there's this passage in Jude that's really interesting. There's, it's talking about being led astray by different kinds of doctrine. And Jude 1.20 says it this way. It says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up, on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, and goes through some other things. But it says for you that your job is to build yourself up. But it doesn't stop there. It says build yourself up in the most holy faith. And so holy just is a word that means separated, right? That's the primary uh, understanding of that word. And so it's saying that, that, the, that the faith that you're to build yourself up in is not one of your making. You didn't make it. Psalm 100 talks about that. You, he says, uh, it says, we are the sheep of your pasture, talking to God. We are not our own, it says in the New Testament, we're bought with a price, right? But in, in this passage, it, said, it says, we are the sheep of your pasture. We are not our own. It is you who made us, not we ourselves, right? And so there's this picture of the identity has to come from something that's outside of you that comes internally. And so this is what Jude talks about. He says, build yourself up. Right, That's your job to build yourself up, to be discipled, to make sure that you're getting influenced by the right, by the Scripture, by the Word. And that's kind of what this talks about. What does it mean to build yourself up in the most holy faith? It means our beliefs, the body of truth that we've learned from Scripture. It's not something, like I said, it's not our beliefs 
are not our own opinions. It's not any of those things. It's what has been revealed to us by Scripture. It is faith that has been separated and set apart from man's ideas about God and life. Let me say that again. It is faith. You build yourself up in the faith that has been separated and set apart from man's ideas about God and life. There are plenty of opinions about the way we should do life. Plenty of opinions about what even constitutes life. But we don't get to make those choices if we're going to be intellectually honest. As believers, we have to say, Lord, what is it that you have said? I'm going to do that. I'm going to let that identify. Who do you say that I am? Remember Jesus said that to the disciples? Who do you say that I am? And uh, they had a lot of opinions about who they thought he was. But it came down to he only settled on the one that had come from heaven. And the same thing is true with us. We have to make that call. Who do men say that I am? And they're going to have opinions. My friend Greg up in, in, uh, his name is Greg Haswell, and he said in in school they called him Greg Has-Been, right? Because that's what kids do. They make, can you imagine what I had to go through with a last name like Hale, right? (laughs) But his was Has-Been, and that's, that's derogative on many levels, but he said, I made a decision I would never answer to that name. He said, after a while, they figured that out and just quit calling me that. And, and all he did was, he just said, I made a decision. I would not be known that way. And that has to be what you and I do. We have to make a decision about how we will be known, right? Part of that is just how you stand in the evil day. The second part of that is the call that's on your life. Again, there's a general call that all of us has, have to preach the gospel, to see the glory of God come in our, in, in, in our generation. That's our call, right? But there's specifically calls on your life towards your gifting, toward ministry, towards um, your vocation, all those different things. Relationships, God has a calling on you. So the, the point of that, though, is that if you don't study, if you don't show yourself approved, approved as Timothy uh, says, it says, a, ma- a man who doesn't need to be ashamed, Right? So it's not a grace issue where God's ashamed of you. It's a, it's a growth issue where you have not prepared. You've not been discipled. And on the, on the day that comes, it's very, very challenging. Your strength fails in the day of adversity. And so what is there to do? And for a lot of us, what we feel like doing is just you know laying down in the fetal position and just giving up. And, I, and I'm going to be honest, I feel that pretty, on a pretty regular basis nowadays. But just because I feel something, I have to decide what I'm going to do with the feeling. Because it turns out that feelings, emotions, were not supposed to lead me. They're supposed to give me information, and then I make a decision about where I'm going to be led based on other things. We all do that. So having done all, stand. How do you do that? And the answer is you have to be prepared. Standing can only occur when you know who you are and what you're called to. So let me just give you an example. This is just Simple example, but found this in Daniel chapter 1, verse 7. You know the story, um, Jerusalem is sacked. Babylon takes all the young people away. Um, they kill some people. They take everybody else's slaves. And they take the finest, um, the finest young men, and they, and they put them in the courts. Potential, they, they see that they have potential, and so they draw them in. They're going to they're gonna make use of them for their own kingdom. So think about just that context for a second. And so here's how it started. It says the chief official, when he comes in, they get settled. Everything's, they're in a new kingdom. Now they're going to begin to live this, this captured life, if you will, right? It says the chief official gave them new names. Isn't that interesting? 
one of the first things they did in the culture was to give them new names. They take away their identity, right? And that's what this culture tries to do. It tries to take away your identity or worse, tries to put you into a group and identify you based on your group. Like, I, don't, I just don't like that anyway, right? So, so that's something, again, when we see these principalities, these powers, these ideologies that are pushing, trying to push our culture, part of what we're called to do is to take a stand in the midst of that. And so I want to get into that a little bit. So here's, here's just a, a quick kind of synopsis. We call, you know, Daniel and the three Hebrew children, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I hate that, that that's how I memorized them, and, and, you know, when I learned this early on, because that's their Babylonian names, unfortunately. <laughs> right? And we should have learned their Hebrew names. It would have been better because of, it would definitely made my sermon better, I'm just saying. So here's Daniel. Daniel's name meant God is my judge. And this is what his name was changed to, is Belteshazzar. And this is what it meant. O lady, wife of the god Baal, protect the king. So here comes Daniel. He's probably 13, 14 years old. And the name they give, give him challenges his gender. Isn't that interesting with everything that's happening nowadays? By the way, that none of this is new, right? <laughs> it looks new. You go reading the Bible, it's like this wasn't new at all. This is not a new concept. So there's this gender confusion. And why is, why is this important? Because they were literally trying to go to the core of who he was and change him. They wanted to effeminate this young man for some reason. Who knows why? And as we know, if you see in Daniel, Daniel was one of the manliest men that ever lived, right? Close the mouth of the lions. He's like, you know, I'm going to go in here, and if they eat me, they eat me. But they're probably not going to eat me because God's bigger than your God. Nana, nana, boo, boo. That's not in the Bible, but it should be, right? <laughs> so here's, here's, the, here's the thing. His culture is going to try to define you. We talked about that. Here's the second, or the second person, Hananiah. His name was changed to Shadrach. But Hananiah meant Yahweh is gracious, and Shadrach meant I am fearful of God. So it was changing this concept that God is good. Remember his Hananiah meant Yahweh is gracious. God is good. To Shadrach, I am fearful of God. Isn't that fascinating? So you see how how it's moving from God is good to God is bad. You can't trust God. And we've talked about this before, that to, you know, to ascribe to God who he actually is, not where circumstances are telling you he is. It's a decision you have to make as a disciple. Things like, he won't help me in my time of need. He's not gracious. He's not kind. He won't heal me. He won't rescue me. He won't deliver me. Because he's, for some other reason, you know, I don't deserve it. And that's, you know, that gets into some of the other things that, that culture tries to do. But it always comes back to, it, it's not just trying to redefine you. It's trying to redefine how you think about God. It's important. The next one was uh, Mishael. Um, his name was changed to Meshach. Mishael meant who is what God is. Nobody like my God. I'm in awe of him. Confidence in God, right? And his, his name was changed to Meshach, which means I am despised, contemptible, and humiliated. How would you like that to be your name? Right? <laughs> so think about that. So he goes from confidence who is what God is? That's what his name meant. Who is what God is? This confidence in God to cowardice, literally. To, to literally be called despised, contemptible, and humiliated. It goes from oppressed to depressed. You ever notice that? 
like the beginning of the demonic activity in people's lives, that, that thing we talked about, you know, that's hovering, the prince of the power of the air, that there is an enemy about, right? We get that. So what's the stand that we take? And the stand is he, can't, he cannot do something to you as long as you know who you are and whose you are. Because you walk, in the, you walk in that responsibility as a son of God, but you also walk in the authority and the power that you gain as a son of God. And so the enemy can come and say, here's who I think you are, here's what I want you to do, and you just say no, right? Remember, just say no, Nancy Reagan? Didn't work at all with drugs, but it, <laughs> if you know who you are in God, it works. Because, again, you can only say that if the enemy comes with a package and says, hey, I want to deliver this to you, because circumstances are telling you you deserve it or it's going to be yours or you're supposed to have it. This is what we're trying to call you. This is how we're trying to define you. You have a decision to make, just like you're taking a package at home. Do you sign for it? If you do, you take possession of it. But just because it comes to your doorstep doesn't mean it has to be yours. You have to make choices about what you are saying yes to and what you're saying no to. And you can't say no until you've said a yes. You don't know what to say no to until you know what to say yes to. So from confidence to cowardice goes from discouraged to no courage, right? Starts with, I'm discouraged, it's challenging, it's really hard, what am I going to do? And the answer is you're going to get up and you're going to quit yourself like men, which is a King James word for man up, put your big boy pants on, right? It's a cultural phrase. And so that's the challenge is to take, take the stand that God has given you. Having done all, when it's all said and done, the preparation has been made. When the evil day, when the challenging day comes, when the day of adversary hits, you, your strength will not be weak. And you will stand when those around you potentially maybe even will fall. So here's an example of how that works in our culture. If you begin to subscribe to that, that, that to allow the enemy to take away your confidence in God, it's going to make you unwilling to take a stand. Let me give you how that plays out in just a practical example. I've had people say, you know, you, you guys as Christians, especially me as a pastor because I'm one of the leaders, is you need to stop trying to force your views on everybody, right? That's what I hear. And so I say, first of all, let's stop right there and just talk about the logical fallacy that you created and the fact that you're telling me what your view is, trying to force it on me by saying I shouldn't force it on others. Like, are you seeing the contrast here? And almost no one does, Right? Because that's what our world does. It's just whatever fits the narrative, we say it. And we expect people to believe it. And the old, the old adage about, you know, if you say a lie enough times, people will begin to believe it is actually true if you haven't settled your identity in God. Because if you, if you don't do that, something inside you rises up and goes, I don't understand this, I don't know what it is, but I know it's not from God. So no thank you, right? But the whole thing is everybody has a worldview. Everybody has some kind of view. And so the person... That is saying, don't force your views on me, is really trying to force their view on you, right? They're saying, hey, just because you disagree with what I think, you don't get to talk. And thankfully, you know, part of who we are as a country was formed from freedom of thought and freedom from religion and freedom in, in all things. Jesus is the one who brought the freedom in the first place, right? This is a, the Constitution is a picture. Actually, it turns out that the main points of the Constitution were sermon points for the last 20 years before America was founded. It's where the Constitution actually comes from, which is most people don't know that. But the whole thing is people are trying to, to give an agenda to you. Everybody has an agenda. If someone says they don't have an agenda, they have an agenda, and you should keep your eye on them. 
Because <laughs> they're either ignorant of the fact they have an agenda or they've got a secret agenda they're going to try to, they're going to, try to force on you. Christians are, trying, are not trying to force their views on people. We're just proclaiming a view. What you do with it's up to you. I'm never going to, listen, if God gives you the freedom to say no to him, why in the world would I try to take that freedom away? But don't tell me I can't tell you what I believe, right? We're not going to play that game. So here's Azariah. He's, he's the last guy. His name meant Yahweh has helped, and they changed his name to Abednego, servant of Nebo. So Azariah meant Yahweh has helped. It's an endearing term. I'm close to God. I know God. There's an intimacy there because God has helped me. I've been there, and he's helped me. And Abednego is servant of Nebo. And you can see it very quickly to go from a son. His name was something that spoke of sonship. God has helped me because he loves me. He cares for me. To I am a servant. And the best I can hope for is what the prodigal son said to the father. The best I can hope for is to be a hired servant to my father. And the father would have nothing to do with that. You will not be a servant in my home, right? You are a son. You carry authority. Here's the robe. Here's the ring. Here's the shoes. See how he's being clothed? See how it relates back to the way Paul's talking about being clothed with armor. The father and the prodigal son is being clothed with authority, being clothed with with righteousness, being clothed with family, being clothed with you are a son. All of these things, being clothed with authority in his ring. It's a picture. So what do you do? How do you make this happen? The answer is you have to get secure in your identity in Christ. If you don't know Christ, that's the first step. Take the step of faith and become a believer. Jesus said, follow me, right? It's not like you're just, you're just going to um, make some crazy um, decision, I'm going to take a step of faith. People always say that as if there's no evidence. And that's not true at all. I was thinking about this just, just yesterday. I was thinking about how many incredibly intelligent, articulate, educated, brilliant people who are Christians. And then there are lots of articulate, educated, brilliant people who are not, right? So it turns out articulate, brilliant, educated doesn't really mean that you're going to be or not be a believer, <laughs> right? So you can't discount intelligence. You can't discount um, education. You can't discount that. Christianity is not some rude religion for dumb people. And anybody who knows believers, anyone who takes the time to get to know believers, don't get me wrong, there's some bad apples in just about every situation, right? You're going to come across people who are either very broken, maybe they are believers, maybe they're in a cult. You don't know. But we know the difference, and we see it in Scripture. You know the difference between the real deal and what you see out there. And here's the thing. If we become that, if we allow the identity and the security of who we are in Christ to begin to get a begin to grab hold of us, it isn't just what we say, it's who we are and what we do. The very substance of our being shouts that there's a God, that He loves you, that He's come for you, that He wants to, he wants to help you in your time of need. And see, that's, the, the Bible talks about us overcoming by what? Remember? A testimony, right? By the blood of the Lamb and by the testimony. We talked about the righteousness that comes. You know, the breastplate of righteousness. All these different pictures of if you are not established as a believer, that's the first step that you have to take, right? But at some point, you take that step and you say, I am a son. But are you a young son? Are you an immature son? Are you a broken son? Are, are, you, are you confused as a son? 
And the answer to that is to study, is to get into the Word of God, to see what God has said about Himself. Get around people who are bringing a healthy perspective of who God is. Get to know Him. Let truth do what truth does. This is what, I've said this a million times about how I came to know the Lord. I came to know the Lord because I put truth on the throne of my heart, not Jesus. Because it turns out there's a lot of walkie Jesuses out there, right? And so just because someone's proclaiming that this is Jesus, one of my favorites is Jesus meek and mild. Well, he might have been meek, Scripture speaks to that, but he was anything but mild. Anything. But that if we sing that song enough times, we start believing that Jesus is mild. And then the pictures of him, you know, he's always got his picture, you know, he's always doing the, I don't know what this is, but he's always doing it. And usually he's got some lamb in his, and he's, he's this picture of the effeminate man that Babylon's trying to display. Jesus is anything but effeminate. He was a carpenter, we know this, but the carpenter of that day was as much a stonemason as he was a carpenter. That means he was probably buff, okay? My point is, not that you need to be buff for that, about being a manly man, otherwise I'm in trouble, but I'm just saying, Jesus was a manly man. He had no problem with being who he was, the Son of God. He was confused about his gender, He was the Son of God. And you and I are sons and daughters of God. And when we recognize that and we don't allow the world to tell us who we are, then when crisis comes, when challenge comes, whether it's what we're experiencing in the world or whether it's a personal situation, a personal sickness or attack or fear that rises up or whatever it may be, Jesus, when he settles it in your heart, this is who you are, you are mine No one can take you out of my hand. When that is settled, there is nothing, nothing that can sway you. Nothing. We we learned this in Bible college. uh, The pastor who taught it called it the big hand theory. He said there's only one person in the whole world who can say no to God and get away with it, and that's you. Not the devil. He said the devil can say no all he wants, and God's just going to roll over him like a tank. We know that because we see what Scripture says. Listen, this is not some picture of good versus evil. You know, if we do our best, if we get enough prayers on Facebook, then the devil will finally be defeated. That's ridiculous. That's really poor theology. There is no yin-yang, God and the devil, evil and good. There There is God the Creator and everything else. So the fact that there's an enemy, of, and people, they talk about this all the time, but this is part of the worldview as a believer. There is an enemy that is out there that God has allowed for a season. One reason for that is for you to conquer and vanquish that enemy. The truth is Jesus has already done it, right? But then as a son, as a daughter, as he raises you up in authority, adversity is going to come challenge is going to come will you rise to the occasion will you rise to the identity that God has given you that you are a son or a daughter of God you are royalty <laughs> he is the prince of peace and you are his brother and if that's the if that's the case then peace can reign when the storm is raging all about you so let me finish with this last last thing it's two questions Simple. Will my identity come from God or from the world? Which one will I choose? Which one will I allow to define me? Is it, is it the news? Is it circumstances? Is it false doctrine? Is it a hundred other things that come from the world? Or will I let God define who I am? Do I know who God says I am? 
And second question, will I change the world or will the world change me? Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. You were meant to shine. You were meant as a believer to stand. You don't have to be mean. You don't have to be mean-spirited when, you, when someone challenges you. The Bible gives us wisdom. It's part of the armor. It's part of knowing who we are. A soft answer turns away wrath. But you don't have to agree. I had this happen just the other day at the coffee house. This guy said, well, you know what? I'm just not so sure about eternal security. And I said, well, what part are you sure of? And so we had a, a great conversation around that. And he said, you know, I see these passages where the Scripture seems to say this. And I said, you know, I went through that same thing. I said, but let me ask you a simple question that will help you define your theology. He's like, what? I said, which sin is it that's going to take you out? How many of them? Define it for me. <laughs> you can't. You know why? I tried. I, I did spreadsheets. <laughs> I'm like, surely, you know, because I, I was taught this Arminian mindset. I'm taught, you know, if you, at some point, you can send your, the day of grace away. And what I discovered in Scripture, and I can back this up because I went and I studied, because I need to know for me, first of all. But I also need to know for that guy who was saying, you know, when, when I mess up, has God turned his back on me? That's really, he doesn't know that because he's young. But he's saying, you know, because right now he's, he's strong and he's, he's good, but he's, at some point he's going he's gonna to screw up to the point where he's going to say, you know what, I wonder if God still loves me even though my behavior has been this. Wouldn't it be nice, as Paul built in from day one, as Jesus poured into our lives, the, the settling of when Jesus saves you, he saves you to the uttermost. Right? And there's a hundred scriptures we can back that up with, but, but why is that important? Because in the day of adversity, when challenge comes, when you have screwed up, when you've said things you, you shouldn't have said, when you've done things you shouldn't have done, when your behavior hasn't matched your identity, will you even let that define you? Or will you come back and go, God, you've said I'm a son. Now, you can be a bad son. You can be an immature son. You can be a broken son. You can be a confused son. You can be all kinds of sons. But you can't not be a son. Once you settle that in your heart, then what happens is you can come to the Lord in your brokenness and you can say this, Lord, I need help in my time of need. And it turns out scripturally we recognize that that's available to us. We can cry out for help in our time of need. Why? Because grace is enough and God has defined us and he says when he says you are his son, when he says you are his daughter, he meant what he said and he will never back down from it. At some point, once we've established that, we rise to the, to the occasion. We were not meant to be put under a bushel. We were meant as believers to be displayed for the glory of God, to bring many sons to glory. He finishes with this. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. The whole picture is, at some point, you know, you want people to see your son and go, you remind me of your dad, <laughs> right? And for, at some point, that's what the world needs to see you and I. Let me say it this way. If you and I look like the world, what message are we actually going to give them? So if you're struggling, you know, if you're broken, if you're hurting, 
Grace is there for you to lift you out of the miry clay, Scripture says, and place your feet on a solid rock. We talked about this last week. Jesus said, the storms are going to come. The day of adversity is coming. And, and what happens is, de- is dependent upon how you built, what you built on. Not how you built so much as what you built on. Did you build it on the rock? Has, has your life been built on the rock? Have you accepted Christ? Have you recognized and allowed Him to define who you are? And if that's occurred, when the storm comes, the Bible says if your house is built on the sand, it will fall down. Another version of that in the Old Testament is if you fail in the day of adversity, your strength is weak. But if you build your house on the rock, when the storms come, when the rain falls, not if, it will beat against that house. What a beautiful picture. (laughs) And the Bible says, but your house will stand. And just like this, it's designed not just to stand, but when it stands, it's offering something to everybody around who's looking at it. So let me, let me just pray over us in this way. There's a passion that God has to raise us up, to build us up. I've, I've said it a hundred different ways, but here's, here's one way. He takes us out of the world, right? In discipleship, he takes the world out of us. And in discipleship, he puts us back into the world, right? And that's a simplified version of it, but it's what God's trying to do. So let me ask you a question. Have you been taken out of the world? Have you allowed yourself to be removed from the old way and come into the new way? Have you, have you let go of the, the brokenness of the world and have you embraced Jesus as a Savior? And if you have, what's your growth look like? What's your discipleship look like? Are you studying to show yourself approved? Do you have patterns in your life where you're reading Scripture, where you're hearing content like we're giving out at, at a local church to build you up in your faith? Are you going in and building yourself up in the holy faith, the separated one, not the one you came up with, not the one your mama was raised in, but the one that's actually here and revealed to you? Are you building yourself up in that? And if you are, there's work to be done. And the work comes not from you and your own strength. It comes from the strength that God has put inside of you. What he's called you to, he's gifted you for. So if if we can pray into that and say, Lord, whatever challenge that you need to point out in my life, where where have I discovered that my strength is weak? And then begin to put into preparation. Do it now. If you're not reading and praying on a regular basis, get some kind of pattern. If you don't know what that is, come talk to me or another, another person who can help you be discipled in that. Get something, I get something in the me- email every single morning at 4.15. It's when it shows up. And that means it's ready for me when I wake up to read Scripture and see what it says, and it speaks to me every single day. And so I just want to challenge you. Wherever your strength is weak, that's where you need to build yourself up in your, in your most holy faith. So, Heavenly Father, we just say thank you. God, thank you that everything we have need of, your word says, you've given it to us in Christ Jesus. There is nothing, Lord, that you will not provide for what you've called us to. And there is nothing in this world, Lord, that's going to rise up against us that you haven't already defeated. And so, Lord, help us to build not in our own strength, but in the strength that comes from you, the strength that comes from knowing who you have made me to be, whose I am Lord, that I am a much-loved son of the Most High King. And I've been given authority to speak into my own life, in the life of my family, and the life of my community. Lord, you've called me to take a stand.
because you never put a light under a bushel, Lord. You put it on a hill to be seen. Let this truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, this gospel of grace, let it go out from our lives, even in the circumstances and the brokenness around us, especially with everything that's happening. Lord, let it be a light that shines, that people are drawn to you and not the brokenness in the world. And for that we say thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer um, online, you can go to our website. You can send a, an email to, what is it, prayer, prayer at dothancf. Just make sure I get it right before I say it. But prayer at dothancf.com. If you need prayer where you're sitting, just uh, stay where you're sitting as everybody else is kind of making their way out. Uh, we'll recognize you sitting there and we'll come and some of the leaders will gather around and pray for you. We love you guys. Have a great week.